Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. You know, I, again, I just love some of the songs we sang today. And that line, that last song that says, From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. I'm so glad to know that my destiny is not in the hand of fate. It's not in the hand of circumstances. It is in the hand of Almighty God. Oh, children of God, rest secure in who you are as a child of God today. Just rest assured of that. But we are in the midst of our tribal series, Life in the Tribe. We're calling it Tribal Living. And Tribe being Family Life is our family series. And today we want to talk about tribal economics. Tribal economics. In other words, we're going to talk a little bit about money today. Now let me just pause there and say this. Now are there any Aldi shoppers here today? Anybody go to Aldi's and shop? Yeah, sorry, Gary. We go to Kroger too some. Yeah, Aldi's. You know, Aldi's is a, is a dis, I guess you call it a discount grocery store, but they have some incredible brands that they sell off brands. Like this morning, um, I had breakfast, which isn't too uncommon. Um, but anyway, I had breakfast, and I went to the pantry, and we had a box of Kroger um, uh, brown sugar maple oatmeal, and we had an Aldi's book, you know, package. And I said, well... I think I will do Aldi's this time. So I cooked that dude up and put him in the microwave. This is, I'm, I'm a chef. Y'all, I've got gifts y'all don't know about. Okay, yeah, I've got gifts you don't know about. So I put him in the microwave for 120 seconds. I almost said 120 minutes. I'm not sure what that was produced, but it wouldn't be breakfast. But anyway, 120 seconds, you know, the right amount of water. I just kind of guessed it and wagged it, you know, and stirred that sucker up and took it in the living room and eat it there. And as I'm eating this, I'm going... This is really good. And I think, I can't remember if I said it or not, if I thought it or said it, but I said, Judy, you know, and I've said it before for sure, you know, this, this Aldi's brand is better than Quaker. It's better than the name brand. And there's sometimes that's just true. You get this off brand, you know, and you go, hmm, that tastes really better than whatever. Now, there's some things that's not true, okay? Now, listen, there, I know y'all think there are multiple brands of ketchup in the world. There are not. There's only Heinz. I mean, come on. Any Heinz fans out there? Any Heinz fans? Yeah. I mean, there's a, don't, don't be whipping no hunts on me. And, and don't be bringing Uncle Tom's or whatever that Tom's brand. I think that's the Aldi's brand, Tom's brand. Don't bring that in there either. I mean, it's Heinz or nothing. Well, here's the deal. You know, when the Bible speaks, it is the name brand. It is the only brand. And, you know, in the, in the situation of money... The Bible speaks so clearly and so loudly. And it is, listen, I don't know what brand of economics you use. I don't know what your brand is, what plan you follow, how you do money, how you do your economics. I don't know, but I'm telling you, the name brand, the brand to follow is the Word of God. And that's been kind of a sub-theme of our sermons each week. As we approach these different topics, we've always said, no, you need to follow the Word of God. And once again, I want to speak to some of the younger couples, but certainly not just them at all, because this is a, a topic that impacts all of us. So we're going to talk about God's plan for money. Now, here's the cool part. The deal is like this. Normally, when a pastor gets up and says, today we're going to talk about Money, here's how it kind of goes. It kind of goes, he gets up and gives a healthy dose of guilt, 
okay? And, you know, really talks, makes you feel just, just a right amount of guilt. And then a little bit of threatening the power of God. You know, if you don't give, God's going to take your appendix out or give you a flat tire or something like that. You know, God's going to zap you, so you better give or else God's going to zap you. Now, listen, I've heard pastors do this. I'm being funny, but I'm not. More than once I've heard God said, yeah, he put you in the hospital to get your ties taken out. What kind of thing? Yeah, isn't that horrible? Buddy, I've heard it. I've heard it. So anyway, so, so, so that's kind of how that goes. And, and here's the deal with that. One is, is that guilt is a horrible motivator. And secondly, that's just not a picture of God. It's just like, now, God does discipline. We understand that. But that theology is warped and twisted. And normally it's motivated by a church that's financially in trouble. There's a preacher that's feeling some financial trouble there. Church needs a little bit more money. So he puts a guilt trip on you so you'll give and threaten you with God so you'll give. And there it works for two or three, four weeks or five weeks, and then it dissipates. Well, the good news is... That's one, that's not what God's word says. And then two, that's not where we're going today. Now, we'll tell you this. Let me just share this with you. If you're new to Dorisville, I see you've been here, this is your first time. Uh, this is maybe two or three times for you. Maybe you've been a member of the church family for five, five months or so, or maybe you've been coming for a year or so. You know, what, however it works out for you, I want you to know this. You are sitting in the midst of an incredible group of generous people. The reason you don't hear those kind of sermons, and in fact, often you don't really hear a topic of money in this church, is not that I'm, afeard, I'm afraid to teach it, not that it doesn't need to be taught, but in our church family, our folks are incredibly generous. I just can't believe it. That, their generosity is one reason why we gave away a quarter of a million dollars last year. A church that gives away a quarter of a million dollars. It's just incredible. The one time you'll hear us get up and really say you need to give, you need to give, you need to give, it's not money that goes to our budget, but it's money that we give away. We, I don't mind asking you passionately for money that we're going to give away. And so the reason you don't hear those kind of sermons is because of the incredible generosity. And we appreciate that, and I thank God for that. And I want to encourage you to be sure and be generous in that way. But today I want to talk to you about your money. Well, actually, it's God's money. I hope you understand that. We're just stewards of what he gives us. But we want to talk about the money that God has placed in our, in our hands. Now, Andy Stanley, I think it was, said something very close to this. He said, you know, God is not trying to get your money. In fact, I love what he said. He said, you know, if God really wanted your money, okay, you would be a greasy spot in the chair Okay, and he would just take it. That's not how God operates. God doesn't need our money in that sense. He said that day, he said, God's not trying to get your money. He's trying to keep your money from getting you. Because the reason the Bible speaks so much about money is that he knows, God knows the propensity of ourselves to want to hoard and to get. And I tell you what, without apology... I find myself, regular, when I do talk about money, uh, I find myself going back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because I just think it really, really, really shows in a very clear way a couple of different aspects. It talks about how we should handle our, the money that God's placed within our hands, but also how we can do ministry with the money that God's placed in our hands. So, so first off, this, this first chunk, and we may only make the first chunk, who knows. But, um, but the first chunk talks about, you know, how should we manage the money? What's the best way? And again, I already told you, this word of God is the brand name for stewardship, for managing money. 
And you might say, well, Dwayne, is that really a need? Well, you know, I did a little research. You know, I like this research thing. I like these numbers thing. You know, first off is the average U.S. household in America, the average U.S. household care, with debt carries a $15,700 credit card balance. Let me say that again. The average household in America that has debt carries an average debt load with just credit cards of uh, $15,753. Now, I don't know, but if that's true, and again, I've heard that number several times. That is not just a fluke number that somebody made up. If you're carrying that kind of a load today, you know the pressure. You know the pressure of debt because chances are you're paying around 15% on that money. You're paying about 15% on that money. And that puts intense pressure on you if you're the provider or you're the dual provider or if you're a single mom, single dad, puts intense pressure on you. And, and you feel all this, oh, no, got to, got to, got to, got to perform. And God doesn't intend life to be like that. And you know if you're married, one of the things you probably talk about in a um, high-temperature way would be this thing called debt. This thing called debt. Uh, how about this? How about this? The, the average family underestimates their debt. It's almost like it's crazy. The actual number versus the, the, um, the number that they promote and say, well, we're in this much debt, is, it's 155% bigger. Often we just don't know what we owe. We just keep paying the minimum, keep paying the minimum, keep paying the, paying the minimum. That's what we do. And oftentimes we're in debt even further than we thought that we were. Now, the cost of debt's crazy. Um, the average family pays $6,658 in interest a year. 9%. The medium income in America is about $75,000. No, I don't make that, and some of you probably don't either. But the, but the medium income is $75,000, okay? And about 9% of that goes to paying interest. So it's just crazy numbers. So, so I, I go back to this. Okay, okay. So do we need help with our stewardship of our money? Now, again, not, me trying to, not God trying to get your money, but keeping your money from getting you. You know, is there a better way? And the answer is yes, there is, and yes, there is. That's the answer. And that's what we want to talk about today. Now, if you are one of those folks like me who, who constantly wrestle with weight, then you probably understand how hard it is to get a handle, even with God's help, even with God's help. You know, money is one of those things that's hard to get a handle on. You know, about a month ago or five weeks ago, Got back out. Going, TA sees me at the park there. I'm walking the park. And I've even taken the giant step now. There's some equipment out there, and I'm doing the pressy things and stuff. I'm you know, trying to get back in shape a little bit. And boy, it sounds good right now, but I've got a feeling long about July, it probably won't feel quite as good. It'll be hot like it is right now, actually, today, but it'll be hot and it'll be harder to do that. Well, you may hear this sermon today and go, you know, I, we need you. Honey, honey, honey. It's time to get a hold. We've got to get a handle on this. This pressure we're feeling living paycheck to paycheck is just too much. Honey, we got to get a grip. And it sounds good, but, but Dave Ramsey will tell you, anyone will tell you, it just takes a total sellout commitment. He calls it gazelle intensity. You've got to get really serious, but I'm telling you this. When you start getting that debt paid down, when you start getting a handle on, on what, you know, how your money flows and how it works for you and all those different things, you start doing things God's way, the pressure is great. Just exercising. I don't know if I've lost any weight or not. 
Be sure, by the way, at the door and tell me you look like you did. Okay? I don't know if I've lost any weight or not, but I tell you this, my energy level's up. And you're going to find out when you start doing money God's way, the pressure's going to come off, and you're going to feel like a different person and like a different family. So I know this is difficult, but it's true. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The principles that we want to talk about today, the lifestyle we're going to talk about, is possible for the child of God. And again, this isn't, this isn't brand B. This is brand A. This is the plan, okay? Now, we want to start out, and again, I apologize for that. A lot of you have heard these scriptures before, but let's see if we can bring some truth out that might be fresh today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse number 6. Now, here's what, here's what Paul says. Now, here's the scenario. Here's the scenario. The scenario is, is that some of the religious false teachers were promoting the idea that, that, that Christianity was a way to gain wealth. That Christianity was a way to gain financially. All right? And by the way, that kind of rings a bell with so many pastors today. So many pastors today. You know, if you just give me a hundred, God will send you a thousand. You know what I'm talking about. If you watch any kind of a Christian television whatsoever, ever, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I've had people say, well, I thought if I got saved that, that I would not lose my job. I would get richer. I would do this and that. And again, that's good selling material, but it's just not biblical. It's just not biblical. That's the problem. People love to hear it. They flock by the thousands to these pastors who preach a health and wealth prosperity. But again, it preaches good, but it's not a biblical concept the way it's presented by them. But here's what. Here's what God's Word says. He starts out with the concept that, again, in the, in the context, these false teachers were promoting Christianity as a way to gain wealth. And here's what Paul said. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. So there, you see the... First off, he starts off with a but. In contrast to those false teachers, but in contrast to them, here's a formula. That godliness, living in a godly way, all right, plus contentment is a great gain. It's a great treasure to have. And therein lies the root of how we should view and use money according to God's word. Now, first off, let's just look at the godly idea. Godliness. Now, again, without apology, contrary to the culture today, if there was ever a contrasting time when God's way and the world's way was opposite, we are seeing it more and more and more every day. So, so the concept and the idea of a godly life today is so foreign to America. It's so foreign to America. Most Americans go, godly life? Don't you know that's archaic? Don't you know that went out years and months ago? Don't you understand? We live in a different culture today. Well, there's a real power in living a godly life. And, and I don't. we won't take time. Uh, if, if I'd made a list, probably we could have done it and probably spent 10 or 15 minutes here. But we could talk about what are the benefits of living a godly life. Well, I talked earlier about two weeks ago. I just threw this out because this is the nuclear bomb kind of thing. You know, when when a man or a woman is tempted um, to be unfaithful in a marriage, okay, there's that pull. There's that enticement. Of course, if you're living a godly lifestyle, uh, you know that would go contrary to a godly lifestyle. If you're, if you're kind of walking with Jesus in a close way, having a quiet time, the Holy Spirit would be going, nah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You're conscious speaking. You don't want to do that. But imagine, imagine if you never had to worry about that. Well, not worry. That's not a good word because we always have our guard up. Always have our guard up. 
But what if that was not a, what if there's in your past there was infidelity? Wouldn't you love to be able to go back and say, shouldn't have done that one. If I could rewrite, if I could rewrite, it would be that one. What if, what if you are working for a company and, and, and Bob down the road had a bass boat and you wanted a bass boat and you looked and said, you know, if I juggle these numbers just right, I, I, I could pull this off. All I'd do is just twist a few numbers, you know, and guess what? <laughs> be sure your sin will find you out. They caught you. You know, we saw that in one of the movies we watched, you know, and they catch you and you either, A, you lose your job as a minimum. Maybe you go do some jail time and you're scarred for the rest of your life in the workforce because of that. You see where we could go on and on? You know, you, you decide that, you know, you know, you like drinking with your buddies and you go and have a few bo- beers on a Friday night. You're driving home, buzz, and cop pulls you over. You blow, as the sign says, $10,000. And, and again, it's a big mess to clean up. You see what I mean? You know, if you're living a godly life, those don't have to be a factors of the godly life. Your life, listen to me, listen to me. Your life gets better when you follow the word of God. You live a better life when you follow the Word of God. Now, Dwayne, that doesn't sell well. It ought to. If you've been in my office or Brent's office or David's office or any other pastor and you've heard the stories and the tragedies and the brokenness and the broken marriages and the kids split up and, and you know, I, I've been in jail and, and now I'm hooked on drugs. And if you've heard those stories, it ought to sell well. It ought to. It really should. So, so Paul says, as a believer, now I'm not talking to Mr. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, and you're going, this, this is why I don't like the God stuff. I get that. I'm talking about people who, who are Christ followers, who are believers, who say, wait a minute, I, I made a commitment to the guy who died on the cross. Okay? I made a commitment to the guy who died on the cross. I'm a believer. Okay? Tell him, life is better with godliness. Your life is just better with godliness. And then, and then he throws in this with contentment. With contentment, that, that idea of, of without the frenzy, without, the, without that frenziness of, of more and more and more and more, that, that feeling of satisfied. Now, you know, I, this is Food Sunday, by the way. You know, I'd like, I, some people won't go to buffets. <laughs> buffets were created for me, you know. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I have gone to buffets before, and I go back for one reason and one reason alone. I wasn't satisfied the first time. I'm full, but I wasn't satisfied. And when people deal with discontentment, they often keep buying and keep buying and keep buying and keep getting. Hey, 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 and keep trying. You know, that doesn't satisfy me anymore. That drug doesn't work. That amount of alcohol doesn't work. And, and we're discontent even with the falseness that we bring into our lives. Trying to be content is not there. And when we can reach a point in our lives where we're satisfied, we're content. There's not that frenzy. I, I remember still. I, I told my, my daughter we were talking about deals. And again, if you don't know me... I'm the deal king. I mean, the stories are, actually there's one person better, and that's Dina Elam. Dina, Dina Elam, they actually pay her before she leaves the store. You know, they actually pay her. I'm not that good. I'm not that good. But, but I, really, I used to really find some great deals. And uh, that's kind of, by the way, I've lost my touch or something. I don't know. You know? But anyway, so I, you know, I used to, to go to stores, and I'd run to the end caps like in Target, and just, I would buy stuff I didn't need. I remember one day I bought 23 racers. Because they were 50 cents. 
I didn't even use the razors. I used an electric razor. But it was a good deal. You know? I just sort of did. But here's the deal. One day, not too long ago, a couple years ago, 18 months ago, I walked into a store. It was a Staples or a Best Buy or something like that. And I'm looking at stuff, you know, just looking. And the guy walked up and said, hey, can I help you with anything? And I said, no, I'm good. And then I looked at him again and said, and you know what? I really am. I really am. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not that you've arrived, Dwayne, but that compelling, getting contentment from stuff. And I still like stuff. Still can't wait to see what they do with the iPhone in this fall. But, but it wasn't that. i got to find contentment in stuff. You know what your contentment is? Now, let me give you a couple things. Number one's God. I mean, when, I, when we sing these songs, when we sing these songs, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. You're perfect in all your ways. He loves me. Un- he loves me. Mr. Imperfect can't get it right to save his life. He loves me unconditionally. What? I mean, wow. How satisfying is that? And I've got a, again, I've got one of those wives that people think she's my daughter. You know? I, yesterday we were at the restaurant. And I, I'm sorry, Friday. And, and so this woman, women do this. Men, we don't do this. You know, men don't walk up men and go, I really like your tie. You know, we, men don't do that. I get that. But this woman walks up and goes, you know, you're dressed so nicely today. You look like spring, da 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 And I just said, well, what about me? I did. I said, what about me? And she goes, well, I like your shirt. <laughs> you know? You know? But I, I'm married to a woman who honestly loves me unconditionally. That's crazy. I mean, I married up. I know I did. I'm not, I'm not trying to get points. I'm not. I'm just telling you. I married up. And here's the deal. I told her one day, I hope this is not too personal, and I'll just apologize in case it is. But you know, I said, Gene, when I look in the mirror, I go, I don't like me. And you know what she said? I do. I love you. I said, the way I am? She said, the way that you are. And I realized, that's satisfying. That there's a human being on this world that loves me just like I am. The same way God does. Now, Walmart can't give you that. As much as the car dealerships try, they can't give you that. And neither can the realtor. So this godliness, this godly life, with that kind of satisfaction, that really can only come from God. That really, I'm telling you, listen to me, I'm I'm older and wiser these days. That only can come, I'm trying to save you some interest. That can only come from God is incredible. It's incredible. It's a, it's a treasure. It's a great gain. And he says this. We, we brought, verse 7, we brought nothing into this world. And you didn't. I mean, I wasn't there. Okay? But I promise you, you, didn't, you weren't born with a Sears catalog. All right? You're, we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out. In other words... All the things that we try to amass here are temporal. All the things we try to amass are temporal. I heard a story about a person who bought a car. 
And this car, when it was new, and it was 1985, when it was new, cost $75,000. And when it was sold here recently, it went for $1,800. You know what that proves to me in a very big way? All the stuff that we think is valuable, 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 it's all depreciating. It's all going to... So, so before, I'm just telling you, before you go out and think you got to have, you got to have, got to have a new car. Okay? Got to have a new house. Got to have new clothes. Got to have new gadgets. And again, y'all know me. These are things that attract me. Before you go out, and especially if you can't write a check for it, Understand in five years, that $50,000 car is going to be worth about twenty-three or less. Okay, might as well spill my guts. I bought a car this weekend. The Grand Prix is no longer mine. Yeah, it's really hard. But it, went, it stayed in the family. It stayed in the family. Okay. I bought a four-year-old car. Four years ago, that car cost $25,000. I paid twelve five, and I could write a check for it. I'm just telling you that you need to know that. Fifty percent loss in four years. So before you write that check saying I got to have that forty thousand dollar car, understand in five years it's going to be worth about seventeen. Is anyone wrong with a new car? No, I'm just telling you, be wise. If you can afford a new car, if you can write a check for a car, awesome. I'm just trying to help you avoid that debt load. Because there's about two things that cause divorces in marriages. Sex and money. Sex and money. And I'm trying to help you today. Because I'm telling you, about the sixth month, and it's deemed in the Walmart parking lot, it won't seem that precious. It won't seem that precious. We bought nothing in. We can't take nothing out. It's all temporal. It's all staying here. And then he says something that I'm still wrestling with. Can I be candid with you? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That's, that's a little... That's, I mean, it's, it's not like... I don't, I don't think Paul's saying, battle of poverty, everyone go buy a white robe and chant in Montana. I don't, I don't think that's it at all. I think he's saying that the contentment is Christ. Temporally, you know, you've got clothes and food. That's really all that really matters, you know. And I think shelter is thrown in there. And, if you're, and beyond that, if you're trying to find contentment, don't look on the oh, Don't look beyond that. Don't think that you can buy the contentment you're looking for by your address or the car that you drive or the labels in your clothes. The contentment is Jesus Christ. The contentment is Jesus Christ. That last song, Dave, that last song was so important. Now, he's everything. He will give us that contentment. Here's what Paul said. This is what Paul said. I don't say this out of need, Paul said. And this is Philippians 4.11. For I have learned, I have learned, I have learned. Wouldn't it be great if contentment was a spiritual gift? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. 
I've learned this. I know how to have a little bit, and I know how to have a lot. I know how about both how to have a little and how to save a lot. In all and any circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry or in abundance or in need. I mean, one minute Paul was in the city jail, and then he might be out free. And then he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, what is not possible probably concerning the management of funds, his funds that you're the stewardship of, what's not possible with you is possible through Christ. You know, as I say, might be possible, is possible through Christ. But it involves surrender, it involves commitment, it involves all those things. So in verse 9, now listen carefully. But those, but those who want to be rich, in other words, those who are consumed with the thought and idea of having more than someone else. Because see, people don't crave riches normally, even for security. And in the average Joe's life, we want more money so we can buy more stuff to impress people who don't even like us. Just say it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I mean, again, I, I, I'm an obvious candidate I can be. The car I had, that 20, uh, 2002 Black Grand Prix. Only had 69,623 miles on it. 69,000 miles. I didn't even have a dent in it until some heathen <laughs> left their shopping cart in the Walmart parking lot and hit my car. But that's all, that's all in the past. That's all in the past. You know? That was a perfectly good car. Well, Dwayne, why did you buy another one? You know what? I felt like it's time for a change. I felt it was time for a change. And I, I had, we saved five years to have the money to buy that car. We saved five years. And you know what? I could pass it on at a very good right price to my son in law who, believe me, needed a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 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 if you want, if you, there's nothing wrong with wanting stuff, but when stuff becomes, if I just had it so I could be better than someone else, I could be, you know, there's that thing about pulling up to the parking lot and I can race my motor and go, ooh-bah, ooh-bah. And their little car goes, hum-um, hum-um. There's power in that. There's power in that. No, no. If, 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 you're, if you're owned, if you're owned by owning stuff, if, if you don't own your stuff, your stuff owns you. If, if you desire that kind of rich, you're going to fall into temptation. You know, and we'll talk about temptation in just a minute. A trap, a snare. You know, we don't like cats. But I've got one. Well, actually, my neighbor has one. We're not sure if it's a boy or a girl. So we call it a, a shim. Isn't the name is Winnie, so we're assuming it possibly could be a boy. Winnie comes over and we, well, she doesn't pet him. 
She kicks him. No, 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 I didn't say that. No, no, no. But he wants to rub on your leg all the time. Just rub on you. And that's okay with me. And I pet him, you know, and him or her, whatever it is. But here's the deal. When he has developed an appetite for birds, and yeah, I know, it's a sad story. And, and so we have all these bushes. And so he comes and hides in our bushes and waits for a bird to land. And, you know? And yes, I'm <laughs> to be sad so I was sitting there yesterday out in the yard and I hear this this, this sound of the, of the prowling cat I knew he's fixed so I knew it wasn't like you know I knew it was like the lion in I walk across and Winnie has a little tiny bird in his mouth and he ate him he ate him. I know it's sad, wasn't it? I know he didn't come to church to be sad, but it was sad. And you know how that little bird got caught? Inexperience in a snare. When he was probably hiding in a bush, and the little bird didn't know better, and the big old mean Winnie cat jumped out and caught it. That's Exactly what Satan wants to happen in your life. And I'm talking money. If he can get you hungry enough for what everybody else has, he says, when you get that desire, it becomes your passion, and you're working way too many hours, not because the ball said so, but because you want. You want. Or when you figured out, you know, you can go to a dealership or you can go to, to a store and sign on the line. Hey, I'll give you $20 off today if you sign on the line. And the bills build and the bills build and the bills build. And before long, you're trapped. And there's pressure in your marriage. There's pressure to work another job. There's no time to go to Johnny's games because you need to work. That's where Satan wants you. That's what I'm trying to say. I know this is a weird sermon in a sense. Wait, Dwayne, you're not begging for money. No, I'm trying to save you from money. Now, better than that, God's trying to save you from money. So he says, when you want this, you, you get into a trap. And listen, listen, listen. Many foolish and harmful desires. Is there anyone here besides me who's made stupid financial decisions? And, and you go, what was I thinking? Well, when there's that passion and desire, you do dumb things. Which plunge people into ruin and destruction. I wish you could sit in my, my chair sometime. I know the stories. The numbers are true. People are in bondage. People are in bondage. And Christ came to set you free. And this is, this is a time, a particular time, when brand A, the name brand, has it right. Has it right. Be a wise steward of what God's placed in your hands. Avoid this thing called debt. Avoid the pressure that it can bring into your marriage. The love of money, verse 10, you've heard this verse. The love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, did it say money? This is so misquoted. Well, you know, you know, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what it said. You know, money is neutral. Money is a tool. Money, money can buy a can of beer or can send a missionary on the field. It's neutral. It's neutral. The problem is not money. The problem is when we have this love for money, this passion for money, this this insatiable desire for money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You know, Hebrews thirteen five says says this: Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with all that you have. For he, capital H, God, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Money, money, if you love that, it will abandon you. It will not satisfy you. It will disappoint you. Again, the love, the desire for that. But you know what God said? I won't. I won't. The things that money can't buy are the most valuable things in the world. Your children, your wife, your neighbors, your friends, and most of all, Jesus Christ. God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He said, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the truth. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Remember when Jesus said, you know, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give? If the price was wandering away from your security and love in Christ, your relationship with God, And what that brings into your life? If the price was piercing yourself with, what does it say, many pains? A divorce? A broken heart? Children who say, Dad never knew ya. Dad never knew ya. Dad ain't got time. What price would you put on things? Is it worth wandering away from God and the pain it costs those that you love the most. Would I be wrong in saying, ain't no way, Jose. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. There are four rules. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of lies. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence because out of it comes all the issues of life. And that and that heart is that emotional thing that says got to have, got to want. Got to have, got to want. So there's four rules I grabbed from the commentary. Let me share those with you and then we'll close with one verse and we're going to call it a day. Here, here are four rules. You need probably all write these down. They're not mine so I can say that. Number one. Here's rules for contentment. One. 
We must focus on what God has already allowed us to have. We must focus on what God has already allowed us to have. I think that's saying we need to be grateful for what God has given us. So, so the number one thing is, okay, God, thank you that I have a house. Now, it's not the biggest house in the world, and it's not the newest house. God, thank you for my car. Thank you for the job I've got. I don't like my boss, but thank you for the fact that I get a paycheck every week. Thank you for my wife. And no, she's not perfect, but you chose her. Thank you for my husband. No, he's not perfect, and guess what? You chose him. Your children, your family, focus on what God has given you. And then the second thing is this. We must disregard what we don't have. Disregard. Sir, it's time for you to quit wishing for a new wife and flirting with the one at work that you wish was your wife. And ma'am, the same thing. We need to disregard what we don't have. When our thought process you know, I, I've made a lot of jokes about a Mustang. Trust me, I can die and never own a Mustang. But whatever it is in your brain that just, you just can't get it out of your head. I want it so much. Disallow that. Disallow that. Be thankful for what you've got and disallow. And number three is we must refuse to covet what other people have. We must not look at what others have and say, Gotta have it. I'm so jealous. I'm so consumed because of their position and their funding and their life and their path. I want their path and their funding and their life to be mine. No. That's covetousness. That's idolatry, probably. You gotta get out of that. Do I have their times? Yeah, there are times. Can I be honest with you? Yeah, there are times. We must combat that thought process that makes us covet what others have. And the fourth rule is this. We must give thanks to God for each and all of his gifts. You know, something that you don't remember that I preached, that I remember I preached, was, was 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. I tell myself frequently, Dwayne, you need to be a joyful person. Remember what number two was? Praying always. Be a prayerful person. Praying every day, more than once. And be a thankful person. A thankful person. God, thank you for all that you've given and done for me. Can I challenge you to do that? Would you be content, thereby be joyful? Would you tell God about it and say, God, thank you for what you've given me? And would you be thankful? Prayerful with them, would you be thankful for what he has given you? And here's what closes. Are you right now thinking, Dwayne, I like this sermon better when you gave us a guilt trip. <laughs> gave us a guilt trip and made God threaten us just a little bit. We like that sermon better. I hope not. I hope not. Verse 11. But you, man of God. Now, he, this is Paul talking to his men, you know, the, the young man he's mentoring. 
But it's, it's, all, it's for believers. But you, man of God, run from these things. Run from the love of money. Run from all those things. And inside, chase after pursue righteousness, right living, godliness, living that godly life we talked about. Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Run after those things. Pursue those things. See, pursuit is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Pursuit is a good thing. As long as we're pursuing the right things. You remember how you how you got your wife? You pursued her. You pursued her. It's a good thing. Pursuit. Pursue these things. Godliness, righteousness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Probably the best big picture verse of what we talked about today is Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. The wise man must not boast in his wisdom. The strong man must not boast in his strength. The wealthy man must not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. So, if you're sitting there today and, and things are pretty good, you understand I might be out of balance in some things, your position is a little bit easier. So you probably want to sit down, with, if you're married, sit down with your spouse and say, hey, let's talk about you know, how we're managing what God's given us and what are some things that we need to change. If you're up your eyeballs in this one, I mean, you're going, Dwayne, this is us. We both work overtime trying to make the bills pay. It's payday to payday, and sometimes there's more month than there is money. We need help. Well, um, I'm, I was going to say this. See my wife, Judy. And you say, well, what's she, a magic worker? Uh, nope. But she knows some resources. You know, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University is a real lifesaver. He, they will teach you that you can do it. They're starting to try to do it online. Uh, we're going to teach it again in January. But they will show you how to systematically get a handle on your money and how to get out of debt. It's not an instant fix. There are not any. Like a diet, you know, eat less, exercise more, you lose weight. Don't use find help in a pill. I'm telling you this. Look at me. It's worth it. It's worth it. To be without the pressure that you feel will give you the freedom that God intended for you to have. This is, this is plan A. This is, this is not brand X. And, and young people, you know, I, I hear all the time that young, young people today want to have what mom and dad took 25 or 30 years to amass. You know, listen to this. You know, uh, you know, the average family carries $27,000 in car loans. Student debts. The average student graduates with $48,000 in student loans. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's the culture. That's the mentality that we live in. Set forth, by the way, as an excellent example by our federal government. Amen? Crazy the way they spend money. Crazy. If... 
If we ran our homes like the government runs government, we'd be in prison. We'd be in prison. So, I'm just telling you there's hope. I'm trying to tell you there's help. Don't leave this building going, oh, great. No, sir. No, sir. Don't you dare. You have, you, if you're a Christ follower, and we'd love to talk about it if you're not, but if you're a Christ follower, you've got an awesome God on your side. You've got a great guidebook on your side. And there are very practical helps available through Christian ministries to help you, to help you get a handle on this and to be set free. You know, if the sun sets you free, you're what? Free indeed. Free indeed. And that's what God, that's what Christ, that's what the Holy Spirit wants for each of us. That freedom. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you very much for the opportunity to share this. And I pray it made sense. I pray, Father, knowing that only the Holy Spirit can make it make sense. And knowing only the Holy Spirit can, can speak to us and cause us and wants to change our lives. I know that. In fact, we can't even live the Christian life, God, without you. So I want to pray, Father. We didn't get to the second part, but I want to pray, Father, for those who, who today are financially secure and safe. May their hearts still be good. May they be generous, Father. May they be generous to help the poor and the needy. Father, for the families that on the surface, they're doing quite well. Lord, don't, don't let them be content there. Father, lead them to the freedom of debt-free living. Uh, and, and not being in bondage to have to have uh, just because somebody else has. And for my friends and my brothers and sisters, and I'm sure there are some here, certainly some on the radio today, they're just in bondage and they sense that pressure. And life is hard and their marriage is hard. Father, I want to pray in Jesus' name. I want to pray in Jesus' name right now for them. That God, that you would put them on a path and a journey that will set them free. That set them free. In these fragile days of the economy that we live in, uh, Father, they're dangerous days. And we don't really know what's going to happen next year or the year after. And we need to prepare for that. And, Father, again, your word sets the ground rules for that. So as you lead people, Father, as we have our time of decision, you speak to hearts. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious